Hello everyone, a quick message from Jacob. That's me. We wanted to round back. A lot of people ask us about Craft and Draft. A lot of people want to know the details about the journal system. Some people don't even know that Craft and Draft is a journal system because the podcast has grown in so many different ways. We explore so many topics, but Craft and Draft at its core is a journal system for reading and writing workshops, something that allows you to put thinking on the page for your students, for you, and for anyone that walks into your room. It is a special thing that Ochoa and I put together. We crafted it together. We've been really tweaking and working on this for a few years at this point, working through the podcast, working with actual listeners who have implemented the journals in their classrooms, getting their input on what they like, what they don't like, tweaks that they're doing, and It is something that we really do believe in. It's going to be something that we put out there that we are putting in a book. We're in the process. Our our long-term listeners have been listening to us talk about the book for so long. We are working on it. We want it to be perfect and to really help you guys in something that we don't have to sit there and revise all the time, something that can literally be gifted back to educators and this wonderful community. Uh, That way you guys can see the growth of your students, your schools, etc. But with all of that said, this is one of our original videos, one of our original PDs on the Craft and Draft Journal. So this isn't the whole thing. If you want the whole audio, if you want the video presentation that goes with this, join us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash craft and draft. You can find that link in the description of this post. You can go watch this and so many other videos, trainings, extra podcasts that no one else has ever heard where we go into this in um, tons of different ways. We explore the craft and draft journals. We talk about how we use them, uh, the successes that we use them, where they've kind of uh, struggled a bit because we were navigating just the complexities of kids and humans and the school system itself. So if you enjoy this, check out the rest over there on Patreon. Otherwise, enjoy this and tell us if you use the craft and draft journals. We love to hear from you all. That's enough of that intro and all of that stuff. Let's talk craft and draft. Let's podcast a little bit with a presentation going on. We've never done something like this. So, you know, if if it's us kind of (laughs) stumbling our way through this, you know, we've presented with each other several times, you know, we did it as coaches um, quite a bit, but we've never done this. So I don't know. Not, not like this at all. Yeah. And Ocho, you, you present all the time though. So we like, you're just like, whatever, I'm just gonna, you know, you're just going to be wonderful. Just you're, go on with your the new, you're on your new Mac looking great. So yes, because my other computer just died. So here we are and you're looking really good on my green screen. I got a green, yeah. one of those green Macs because I like that color. All right. So, so here I we am are going. So here, everyone, you should be able to see the craft and draft logo, of course, and then the wonderful uh, cash app option. So if you guys are wanting to donate to us and uh, be a part of it that way, you can with that craft and draft right there. Cash app um, Mm -hmm. would be wonderful. Thank you so much for your support if you do that. But all right, so let's jump into craft and draft. If people are new to this, how would you describe craft and draft just our journal system they never heard about it before or maybe they heard it in one of our other episodes and didn't dive too much into it or maybe they've forgotten how would you describe it miss ochoa well i would describe it as a system uh that you put in place in your classroom that's it's a journal system that allows the students to record uh what they've learned about the craft of writing and reading and another place where they can actually uh 
write like a writer's notebook. So it's kind of a combination that weaves the two together. So what it does, it really helps the, uh, I think it helps the teacher. It helps me anyway, when, when I'm trying to uh, blend the two and show the students that uh, when you read more, you write more, when you write more, you become a better reader. And so uh, really this process is reciprocal. So you need both. And I think uh, when we were planning this uh, and working it out, that's what we were trying to do was trying to figure out a system that would allow us to track our students so that we can monitor their growth uh, at the same time, offer something to our teachers that we were working with, uh, you know, offer them a way of, of um, I guess, watching the kids grow, giving them opportunities to record their thoughts and uh, learn all about crafting and all about drafting. That's right. All right. So, Let's kind of get to some of the nuts and bolts of this craft and draft a systematic support for reading and writing workshop. I think it's important to talk, you know, I, this kind of summarizes what you said, right? Like it's the, mm -hmm. this is meant to be a support. The whole reason we designed this was to kind of help guide teachers uh, in workshop, help show the evidence of learning, help track the evidence of learning because workshop, there's so much choice and freedom involved um, that that's, that's a difficult piece to workshop is keeping it all uh, in one place to where it's not, keep it all in one place in a way that's not restrictive. And that's kind of, that's the whole goal with this. So if this ever feels right. restrictive, then, then you're, you're clamping down too hard. So as we go through this, um, you know, it can be, it can be played with a little bit. Mm -hmm. All righty. So this first page, I'm gonna let you do this one. Uh, cause you, Oh, did I, I did that. There was a table of contents. I copied the wrong thing here. You but sure honestly, did. I did. What but why doing? don't you go ahead? I, do you know, I'm just being me. Uh, so when people, <laughs> so if they have two journals and we're talking about the craft book first in this craft book, when you open it up, what do you like to have on that very first page? The first thing people see in their journals, the title page. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. Not this. Not this. <laughs> so what, I, what I really like is uh, I, I want to know more about the students. So if you'll see the two examples, I went ahead and when I was trying to show my students how to do this, I just grabbed stuff from my, I had all these teacher things in my desk and stuff like that. So that's what you see there on the craft book and the draft book. So I was just showing the students that they were going to have to have two of them. Uh, and then the very first page, when they open up the page, I want it to be the title page. And so the title page is going to be the way, the way I present it with the students is I show them a book. And when I show them a book, we have the cover and then we open it up and then there's a title page. So I want their title page to give us a little information about what's going to be inside of their book and maybe a little bit of information about themselves. So that's kind of, so that's what I have on my title page. And so the students will decorate it, things like that. And, uh, and then it will say, you know, if it's a craft book or a draft book, you know, that's what it'll say at the top. And then the students will let us know a little bit more about it. So I model it after an actual uh, book. So that's kind of what they do. And the reason that I do that is if the kids are using a spiral notebook in the past, 
I've had students where the cover comes off. And so they at least have a title page. So it, it kind of works just like a, like a regular book. Is that what you want me to say? Of course. I mean, this of is, I, I, I like the idea of the title page. Um, and it, it's exactly what it sounds like, right? It's, it's a little, it's kind of a piece about them. It's kind of, it's for, if you're setting up craft books at the beginning of the year, it's always a, a fun time. You know, it's a good, mm-hmm. it could be a class builder. It could be a team builder. It could be a partner, a share. Mm-hmm. It could be all of these things, right? So having that in place is next. And then what you would see next is this table of contents. Right. So if you flip right. the page, um, we, it wouldn't, you wouldn't be on the back of that. We don't write on the back of that page, but then on this right side would be the table of contents, right? And in this table of contents is something along the lines of this. So this is um, what it would look like in an actual journal. So the title page would be around on the other there. side of that yep. on the other side of there. And then you have uh, the page numbers. So what happens here is what the way I like to kind of do this. And I think people can do this in a different way. And the reason why this format um, for me really works is what it all comes to in publishing. So keep in mind all of this, this is going to come back. This isn't uh, this way just to be this way. It all rounds back together. But what I do is here, this will be the number, right? So the number of the mini lesson, the page number it's found on the standard we're in Texas. So we got our text and then a brief descriptor, right? This could be what the standard is. This could be what we talked about that day. This could be any of those things. What that ends up looking like in an actual notebook is this. So this is one of my old sixth grade journals that we use. But as you can see, this is all the way up to page or to mini lesson 50. Um, But this is a little everything. So we started with making inferences and using evidence. I even put stuff in here like review, formative data. All Mm -hmm. of this stuff would be your choice as to how you're using this in uh, your own classroom, what was listed, et cetera, et cetera. But I think this is really interesting to do because it gets kids interacting with the standard regularly. It gets them, um, you know, some just describing what each one is, and that way they can reference it pretty quickly. Once again, this really comes back into play during publishing. Um, looking at this, Miss Ochoa, do you see anything that you've done differently that you find that works better? Or um, is this similar to how you've approached TOC? I think it's similar. Uh, I, li- I kind of like yours a little bit more. I think I don't have as many details probably. But one of the things that I want to point out is that it's organized. Like you did mini lesson number one, right? And that was on page nine. You see that? So, and then that was on your first day, for example, then your second day you did page, you know, mini lesson number two. So it goes in chronological order, which I think is very helpful. Uh, Is that how you do it? Yes, it is chronological. And I think that's one of the things we talked about. I've tried to do in the past where uh, you have a vocabulary section and you have a uh, you know, spelling section and you have uh, a notes section and you have, and the students get lost and it, and it all, the lesson becomes about how to organize your notebook. And I determined years ago that 
that was a problem for my classes because it all became about my grade was about, did you put your vocabulary in the right spot? Mm-hmm. And what I learned helped me. And then also when I taught, I taught other subjects. So I did learning, learning logs is what I called them in other subjects similar to this. And I learned just going in, in chronological order was very helpful. And if a student came into my classroom, I wouldn't have to reset up. We could just go right, right in order. And so uh, it helped with new students and all of that. So yeah. I just wanted to point that out. Yeah. And I, you know, the, the order of things you can kind of see is because it is logical or in chronological order mm-hmm. is that what's kind of cool is you can kind of see the, how the units go about. So you can tell here that, you know, uh, we go to setting and then internal, external responses, point of view, plot, flashback, anyone who's in Texas kind of, you start seeing the same standards and then it starts transitioning. So around here, you can look at this to where we start getting to publishing. So it took about 18 mini lessons for me to work through with my sixth graders all up into that publishing process because it all meshes together with this. So it's kind of fun just to see, you know, how, how long it takes. So when you look back, I don't really have lessons that I go back to. I read you lessons all the time, but I do have, you know, I'll look at this and go, Oh, you know, it took about 18 mini lessons to get to where we were at the publishing stage of stuff. So it just kind of reframes what I'm thinking of differently. So um, the table of contents might seem small, but it's, it's very beneficial um, in a lot of ways. I know people who are, in, who are into interactive journals or no, um, you know, they're not strangers to interactive uh, to table of contents and whatnot, but what differentiates this is how it connects to publishing once again, but we'll talk about that. Here well, Go ahead but also, that. also like you're saying, it connects to publishing, but here's one thing. If anybody, any administrator, anybody was interested in what your students are doing and what they're learning, they could go to any student in your classroom and they will know the standards. Any student can tell them what standards they've learned. Not only that, this is a true record of what you have done every day in your, in your classroom. So you could like probably put this page, these pages, your table of contents up next to your curriculum guide and it would all be there. So you could even take a look and say, okay, Ooh, I missed something here. I need to go back and get it. So I think this is a great tool for the teacher and for the student. And then for anybody coming into your room. Yeah. I was going to add the coming into your room because we talk Mm -hmm. about a lot that you know, not everyone understands what workshop is, not under, not everyone understands the the nuances to stuff. So sometimes it can look a little bit more free for all than it really is. So this mm-hmm. is another, this is just another point of reference for people who might not be in a place that's pro workshop. You could be like, look, I'm following the standards. I'm following the pacing guide, the scope and sequence, whatever it is that you're having to um, abide by, but this is, you know, it's just one more piece of evidence to what we're doing, which is kind of what the whole craft and draft system Mm -hmm. is about, but all right. Um, let's move on. So after the table of contents in the craft book, still, we love having a reading record. Now it can be a printed off piece like this, um, or it can be handwritten, which we'll show you in a second, but the reading record, you know, Donalyn Miller talks about this. Linda Reef talks about this. Uh, Nancy Atwell talks about this. Uh, it's, it's pretty common, but we like to keep it um, in our journals because um, I think it's a nice formative way to just judge 
uh, both for the student and the teacher of how much reading is really being done on the, on the part of the student, because what they'll do is when they finish a book or um, when they abandon a book, they'll put it here. Um, now I always tell my students, like, if you pick up a book and read like 10 day, like 10 pages or whatever, and then abandon it, like you don't need, you don't need to put every book you try on here. This is books that you sat with and you either really went through it or they just didn't uh, appeal to, you know, after a hundred pages or whatever, or after like a week or so of being a part of, of, of that book. So what they'll do is they simply list the title, the author, the genre, and then date finished or date abandoned, and then they rank it. And this allows for great uh, conversations about, you know, all right, so it's been a six weeks, let's talk about the great books that we read, or let's warn each other about books that we shouldn't read. <laughs> or, um, you know, sometimes a bad review from someone is a good review to someone else. Like if a kid's like, oh, there was way too much violence in this book, you know, that might be the encouragement some other kid needs to go uh, get that book. But it's a nice, just wonderful list um on the reading record miss ochoa do you have do you add a, a to be read section in your journal as well uh yeah i think there is a to be read uh, i do have that in there yes but on a separate page um and then you have here's your example yeah see i do something very similar i just wrote it out it's just me <laughs> what I do because I was I was actually showing my actual notebook to my students mm -hmm. yeah yeah which yeah. I, th I think it's cool yeah I think you can do either way it's I think some people you know if you want to print them out and put them in there if you don't want to print them out I think it's yeah I just have the students copy them is what I do I don't I don't print it out um but that doesn't mean you can't have it printed out like you had it on yours that that would be just fine um the one thing is uh mentioning the date finished and the date abandoned um i when i went and heard penny kittle for example the date abandoned is um oh sorry Your cats are <laughs> my partying. cats my cats are now uh, fighting sorry about that but anyway the date abandoned is really an important indicator of whether that student if they're abandoning every book that they are finding then that is a great way or place or an indicator that you need to go in and probably intervene with that student um all right so now we go let's get to the meat and potatoes of this stuff because this is really kind of the magic of this so what will happen is your mini lessons will end up being all on the odd side so always on the right and we're going to talk about why in just a little bit but for the sake of this so once you get to around page 11 now there's no right, right there's no right or wrong way to number these pages uh, in terms of how far this one happens to be on page 11 yours might be on page 13 um it just matters because you might have something that you want to add at the beginning of the craft book you might have certain sections that you want to add something like you could add a data section a planning set you can add all kinds of stuff mm -hmm. To this to whether your district needs something but for the sake of this let's say page 11 is the first mini lesson that we're going to do the structure of this mini lesson um and how it looks in here is is in one way it really is just notes right it's it's the way to interact but the way we treat it is uh you know i think of it almost as like uh, the anchor charts that live with students, it becomes the mapping oh, yeah. of our learning. It also holds our model text. I'm going to show that in just a second. So what we love to do 
is start out with that standard at the very top. Um, in our district, it's very important that we use standards. We're standards-based educators. Um, you can make this difference if you would like, but we start with the standard, we put it up there. And then as we're going through this lesson, you know, we'll hit on some of the key words, right? If this is my first lesson I've ever done about inferencing. We're going to define inferencing and we're going to define what does evidence mean and, and what is support and what is understanding and have that conversation, try to work in that understanding of academic language from the very beginning. But when my students walk in, this is what they do. They walk in, they open their craft books, and they jot down the standard. That's how I know they are ready. It's the expectation that when that bell rings, I'm, you know, I might forget attendance. So you got to be ready the moment it goes, because I might just <laughs> skip over attendance and jump right in to the lesson. Um, and that's something that, you know, it, it really took place in my bell work. I tried doing quotes, I tried doing pictures, and sometimes I will bring that stuff in um, as fun. But really, if having just the standard up every day, because my document camera's on, I'm displaying my journal, kids know what to do, it's expected, and then we're, we're, we're running. And guess what, at any point in time, when someone walks into my room, they, if I don't have my standard written up, if I don't have whatever I need on my wall or whatever, guess what? You can open any journal in that room and they're right. They have the standard for the day. Right. Any kid can tell you what we're doing that day because they're writing down the standard for the day. I mean, it's such a, it's such a small thing, but it, it once again, there's so many layers to why these things exist. Do you want to add to that before I go on, Miss Ochoa? Are you okay? Oh. Well, one of the things that I'm noticing about your standard is it's not written in kid-friendly language. I, I think a lot of times uh, I've I've been advised to even do kid-friendly language, but my my position on that is the students need to know the words. So what I do, and I do the same thing. We walk in. This is what we do at the beginning. And we talk about what does inferencing mean? What is evidence? So by the time I'm finished with this standard, the students understand. They even tell me what it means. So uh, when it's all said and done, I teach the students these words as we go. And that's part of my lesson. Yes. And then so this is me putting these questions right here. It's just uh, I might write these questions out. Uh, what, or I might, I might, I might usually what I'll do is I, if I have like questions, I really want to ask, um, about the standard, um, or if I have leading questions that I want to ask, what I'll do is a lot of the times I'll write these like on a sticky note or like in my version of the craft book, just kind of off to the side or on my iPad somewhere. So the, me putting them here is just guiding the thinking for us for the presentation, but I wouldn't always put the questions I wouldn't write them always right there. Right. Um, I, I typically have a conversation about them. Yeah. So we would uh, a have a conversation times. about like those questions if we did this. Right. And and I may even have it written on my, you know, I like to do, use my whiteboard. So I might have oh, it yeah. written on the whiteboard and then I'll have, I'll, I'll even have it color coded. I'll do all kinds of stuff with it mm -hmm. where the students will, you know, I'll underline it. They'll underline it. We'll do things like that. Sometimes I have them come up and underline it. So I try to make this as interactive as possible, depending on the time that I have and really how important it is. I need them to know what this standard means. 100%. All right. Mm -hmm. So what would happen next for me? And we're going to show a different version of this in a little bit with your 
uh, journal. So what I do 95% of the time is I'll take an excerpt from something um, and I shrink it down. So I, I, I make it a little bit smaller and then students either staple or tape or glue these into the journal under the standard. My model text becomes something that actually lives in the craft book. So this means that if us, if we hit on a poem that students like, let's say we're doing the man in the jar and students really love this piece, guess what? This piece is going to be in their craft book all the time. So they have a model text. It's not something that they turn in. We're not handing it to them so they can annotate it and turn in. And then we're going to grade their annotations. All of that lives in the craft book, right? Mm -hmm. They're not turning in anything uh, at all at this level. So uh, what happens is I was so excited when I, when I started doing this because, well, it, because it, it made the, the, the text, the kids remembered them more, right? When they were bored, they would flip through their craft book and they'd be like, oh yeah, I remember this piece. Or if I'm sitting with a student and I remember that we studied something on Monday and I'm conferring with them and I realize that they're not connecting the dots by Friday. I'm like, oh, you know what? Let's open mini lesson one again. Let's look at man in the jar. I want to relook at that with you. Boom. Reteach. You have a teacher table, reteach. You have tutorials, reteach, but it all happens in the craft book. So they always have the text. There's no making a million copies of stuff. Oh, I don't have a copy. So let's go find something else. It lives right there. It's a small thing, but I think it's so valuable. And then what happens from there is we will start going through the lesson. So here's just an example of questions that I might ask as we're going through this. Whatever you're doing as the teacher will determine how you go through something, right? If you're mm -hmm. heavy on annotations, you might annotate with them. If you're, um, if you're looking for specific questions for them to answer, then those are the questions you'll do there. So the teaching piece is obviously up to you. This isn't some uh, pre-packaged method of, of teaching. What this is, is a system to do that. So as your, whatever lesson you're doing, it just lives in here and you would go through that. Is this similar to how you think about doing this, Ms. Ochoa? Yeah, uh, I don't know if I've always done the uh, text. That's probably something I'll adopt. I think we talked about that last time. Uh, yeah, that we've I really like how you do that. Huh? Yeah, we, I think we've we've talked about that difference on the podcast too a few times. Yeah, I think we have, but uh, it's, I just didn't think of it. You know, when we first originally thought about this, we both went our own ways in our yeah. own classrooms and we implemented it in the best way that we understood. So I do like this. Um, I, th I think, I, and, and I did start doing it at the end. Like I do have some poems, you know, when, when I learned that you were doing that and it did make a huge difference. It really did to have the students have that writing right there. So I, I am, I think that's sorry, a great I thing to do. No, you're good. You're not bothering me, but I think that's a great thing to do is all I'm saying. Go ahead. I was going to say in for like longer, like for poems, this is obviously really easy to do for longer pieces. Like if you're doing a big short story, um, I do the same thing. A lot of the times we'll, we'll fold it in there and we might just staple an edge or if there's an article, sometimes we'll make it, we'll fold it. And then that way you just kind of have to unfold it a little bit. So it becomes like a foldable, so to speak. Um, go ahead. Well, uh, in that note, another thing that I have done, and I've done this in this last, uh, in my last reading 
uh, thing that I do with my students, not my students, but my teachers. And, um, but you have library pockets or what another thing I've done is used, uh, gone down to the regular store and bought different colored envelopes, the little smaller envelopes. So what my students do when it's a larger piece, they will uh, tape that into there and they have fun. Sometimes I get washi tape and other stuff, you know, just for fun. At least I did pre-COVID. And uh, so they would tape it, decorate it. And then um, they would they would fold it and put their uh, piece inside that envelope. And so that envelope would be inside uh, where your man in the jar is there. That might be an envelope that might say, you know, whatever piece it is. But then they pull it out and they have the full article. Yes. So wonderful too, right? And this is, Mm -hmm. here's the thing. Once again, just to reiterate, this is not a, a, you can't deviate. Like there's, there's pieces to this. I think are great having the mini lesson number at the top, having the standards, having a piece and then working around the piece. But there's, there's a million ways to kind of alter this to fit your lesson. Not all of my (laughs) mini lessons look exactly like this. Some of them look different. Some of them are shorter. If it's a, if it's a day where we're doing a heavy writing day, like this page might be a whole quick write one day. Right. Mm-hmm. So it might not always be directly tied to looking like this, but the variety is there. And then what I want to add is at the bottom, I, I usually reserve, I try some, sometimes our mini lesson pages get so filled, but at the bottom, I really try to do um, some type of reflective debrief, right? Why do you think this poem or what do you, what do you think this poem was about and why, right? That might be a really basic question to ask that can go as deep as you want, but I'm, I've talked about this on the podcast. I'm horrible at debriefing, right? I'll just jump to the next thing super fast. So I try to, I know. <laughs> so I try to incorporate the, that, that bottom piece as that kind of reserve it. Sometimes I'm better at it than other days, but. Well, for those of you who do Cornell notes, uh, you could set this whole page up like a Cornell notes section. And at the bottom, um, of a Cornell note is a summary where they have to write a summary. And so that could be what you have at the bottom. And then you could use that as your debrief. So you could easily uh, have the students, you know, fold this one page, draw a little line there, and then they would have the Cornell notes set up. So if you, if that's what your district prefers that you do, because there are some places where they're all a Cornell note type place, you could still do this and have your system of note-taking in in this. You just make this page look like that note-taking system. Correct. All right, so now let's get to this left side because this is where now we're getting a little bit deeper, right? This whole thing, it's like piece by piece, and before you know it, it's this tapestry. So we go to um, this left side. So after the, the mini lesson, let's see your mini lesson takes 15 minutes. After that, we love setting the reading goals. Um, the goal setting was something that I stumbled across on, but then when I worked with you, it really kind of came into fruition because this was the kind of magic button. Cause what would happen is I used to teach and then we'd be like, okay, time to read or kids would come in and we would read first and then we would teach. And I just kept on running into the fact that lessons were not being transferred to their independent reading at the rate that they should have. There was a disconnect. It was like, we, we did school and we learned, but what I was, what we were teaching and what we were learning was not always directly translating to 
that independent practice. So one of the things that we added was after the mini lesson, we go, okay, guys, let's set reading goals. What would be a great reading goal to set based on what we talked about today? At the beginning of the year, this might be really strict to your standard, right? You might even want to guide them, especially if you're dealing with younger students, you mm -hmm. might want to guide them and be like, okay, so we talked about inferencing today. What does inferencing mean? Oh, it means, you know, thinking about using text evidence to really think beyond the text, et cetera, et cetera. However you want to phrase that in your, in your land, like, okay, so what, what goal could we set for ourselves? Right. Um, so, but at, if you're dealing with older kids or honors kids or pre AP kids, um, or if it's later in the year, this might be a wide variety of things. If you talked about figurative language, setting and structure in your mini lesson, they might be able to set goals based on all of those different things from that. It doesn't always have to be directly tied to the standard, but in the early days, um, and especially as you're teaching kids how to set goals in reading, um, it's important. And I want, I want you to talk a little bit, Ms. Ochoa, just about um, what, do you, what do you think the value of having kids set goals just in general? Because I feel like it's, it's, we, we want it to be academic. We want them to connect their learning. But I mean, real readers set goals too, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that's where we, we talked about this as a way to maybe measure growth. Mm -hmm. So if a student is able to meet that goal, and then when they take their assessment and they can actually do what the goal says that they're going to be able to do, then you as a teacher and the student as a student will know that they've been able to reach those goals. But we all know that successful people have that they, I mean, we set goals in all areas uh, of life. Those who are successful, they have a goal, they reach out, they strive, they meet it. I mean, right now we're doing the Olympics. So these, these people who were in the Olympics, they have set goals to win a medal, to, you know, just, just to achieve or, you know, go for the gold or to break a world record. They have a goal. And if they don't have that goal, then they don't have a way for them to uh, map out their, their uh, journey. So the goal is like your, I mean, that that's, that's what you're striving for. So, 100%. and what we have to do as teachers is one of the things that we're measured on when our students take these high stakes tests is did our students meet the goals that the state has for them? Well, if you're looking at your inference, I mean, your inferencing standard here, um, six, five, six, uh, five F it's about inferencing and inferencing is probably one of the most difficult things for students to do. Right. And that's probably where most people, most students fail on these tests is in inferencing and being able to find that support. So their goal here should be tied to the standard in some way. So that goal that they have might be, I want to become a better inference. I want to be able to make better inferences. Uh, the goal could be, I want to be able to uh, use um, appropriate evidence. It might not just be finding evidence, but is that evidence appropriate to uh, what I'm trying to to determine. So the goal could be a little bit different, but it could just, if it's to make inferences, then they could say at the beginning of the year, I might just say, my goal is to be able to make inferences when I read. And that may, and I may help them uh, write that goal out. So you went ahead and added some stuff. So let's see what you had. I want to infer while I read. There you go. It could be that simple. Uh, I want to think about the deeper meaning of my book. So see, it doesn't, but it should be tied to inferencing uh, in some way. 
I want to reach page 10. Nothing wrong with that. But once you reach that, what are you going to do with it? So that's exactly. probably what I would add there. Mm-hmm. Well, so one of the things that I think the reason I added the I want to reach page 10 is mm-hmm. because I think specifically at the beginning of the year, right? And this was like, if if I'm like teaching sixth grade, for instance, I'm trying to get my kids to realize that we read for a variety of reasons, right? We do. We're talking about inferencing, we're doing that. But sometimes I read, like sometimes I just want to get to a certain point in a book. I'm like, you know what? I'm picking a new book today. I want to read 10 pages. I want to see if I like it today. So I think those goals are valid, um, especially in the beginning. And I mean, throughout the year too, you just kind of have to measure the point of this goal setting is it's more data for the teacher. Because if you're working with your kids and you have them start setting goals throughout the beginning of the year, you can take notes on, oh, you know, this, they're making good goals here, there's here. And then in six weeks, check again, be like, oh, what kind of goals are we setting now? And you can even talk about this with your readers. If you have a reader that's struggling one of the pieces that y'all can talk about just in their independent practices, what kind of goals are we setting over time? It's like every day you're writing, you're writing kind of the same goal. Do you think that's successful? So letting them, we talk about metacognition, it's like a buzzword in education, but if you sit with students and you actually walk through this, this metacognitive process of talking about, okay, so what's going to help me read today? How am I going to be an effective reader on my own? Um, all of those are good things for them to talk about. We, I think we take it for granted because as English teachers, you know, we're pretty good at reading by and large as a group. So we, we take mm-hmm. for granted that like when we sit down with the book, we usually have a goal. We might not like write it out and say, you know, I want to do this. But when I, I try to read, you know, 30 minutes to 45 minutes every night before bed. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's like my goal that I have set for myself. But sometimes I sit down to learn information. Sometimes I sit down to dive more into characters, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just, it's another way to connect. And um, look, I had another one. I want to find something to read. Uh, student reflection on goal at the end of the reading workshop. So if we're splitting the workshop in half, when kids come in, they write down the standard. You do your mini lesson. Boom. We set a reading goal. They go off to read after that, or even during their reading, this left side is for them to interact with their independent reading for whatever their goal is. Right. Um, This should get, more complex, more nuanced as the year goes on, because they should be able to interact with their books in a variety of ways. Um, in the early days, like kids might just want to recount what they talk about. Um, they might do this, but as we go deeper, you want them, you want to see evidence that they're thinking about their books and everything else, and then drawing those connections. So the reason why we do everything on the right and this on the left is 